Hi, I'm Katie Allen. I'm a paediatrician turned politician, and I'm constantly asked why change from one of the world's most trusted professions to one of the least. The answer is simple. I want to get inside the tent to help make our future better. Along the way, I've met fascinating people and learned a lot about how the world works. I want to share some of that experience with you, and through my podcast, you'll meet some really interesting people who are helping solve the problems of the world. Reach out to me on socials to let me know who you want to hear from. Join me, Dr. Katie Allen, on An Apple A Week. Hopefully, you'll learn as much as I do. Well, I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest to my podcast, An Apple A Week, with Katie Allen, Jane Rowan, who is the Executive Director of Eating Disorders Family Australia, uh, a newly formed national organisation which is solely uh, involved in looking after the family and carers of those in Australia with eating disorders. So welcome to my podcast, Jane. Thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'd like to get out there straight up the front that um, I'm an ambassador to your wonderful organisation. I'm very proud um, to be an ambassador because this is an issue that affects so many people across Australia and right around the world. It's very underdiagnosed, underrecognized, highly stigmatized, but also highly treatable. And it's wonderful that you are out there um, destigmatizing um, this very important area, but also providing incredible support for families and carers of those affected by these conditions. So, you know, a big shout out to you and your organization. It's it's wonderful to have you on the show. And I do want to start by giving a little ad, a little plug to your website, which is www.edfa.org.au. And uh, if anyone wants to contact the organisation, it's 1300 195 626. That's 1300 195 626. So it's wonderful to have you with me on this interview. And so I'd, I'd love to ask, why did you want to get involved with Eating Disorders Family Australia? Well, Katie, it's um, an issue. Eating disorders are an issue that's very close to my heart. Um, I am the mother of a daughter who uh, was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa in 2016. Um, that threw our family into a, a huge amount of turmoil. Um, I would describe the experience as hell. Um, and to be honest, having been in this position now for a while, um, I've come to realise that our experience wasn't actually all that bad if there is such a thing when it comes to eating disorders. Um, there's certainly far more experience, uh, far more um, difficult and challenging journeys out there. So we were quite fortunate. Um, I wish that Eating Disorders Families Australia had been around when we were uh, going through that journey at those acute years, um, the first two or three years. Uh, I definitely needed support. I was utterly overwhelmed. I was incredibly stressed. Um, it was causing all sorts of issues um, within our household um, because we were all stressed. So lots of arguments. Um, you can imagine when you're trying to get someone to eat who desperately doesn't want to eat, um, the sort of reactions you're getting. Uh, my other children were neglected. I didn't have time to deal with them or to even think about what they were going through. Um, and it was something that we decided as a family that we were always going to talk about once we were on the road to recovery. Um, we realised that we really needed to be part of um, changing um, 
that situation that other people would find themselves in and knowing that there is support available, they can go to people and not be judged for what they're going through. So uh, when I was approached about the role with EDFA, um, I leapt at it. It's something that I feel very, very passionate about and I'm so excited to be a part of um, the organisation that's really helping um, to support and educate and empower uh, families and carers who are looking after someone with an eating disorder. So thank you for sharing, you know, your journey and you, may, you must hear some quite heartbreaking and harrowing stories, but wonderful to have an organisation of peer support because there's nothing like hearing, you know, what other people may or may not have struggled with and to be able to share that. And, and we'll get to what your organisation provides with regards to services in a moment, but just thought it worthwhile starting by, you know, explaining to the audience um, the different types of eating disorders, because I know when I was a young doctor and we were being trained, there was really just anorexia nervosa. And now uh, there's so many different types of eating disorders. Um, and um, I understand anorexia nervosa only counts for about 3% of the sort of umbrella term eating disorders. What are some of the other eating disorders? Well, the, um, the largest cohort um, of people diagnosed with eating disorders is actually binge eating. Uh, that's 47% of eating disorder diagnoses is, is um, binge eating. Um, and it's an area that a lot of people still don't uh, understand or even realise is, is, is a condition. Um, apart from anorexia and binge eating, we've got um, bulimia nervosa, which most people will have heard of as well. Um, there's also, um, there's quite a range. There's another one called... Um, ARFID, which stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. That's affecting generally younger people, um, and it's usually the result of them having had a choking experience that's made them scared to eat, or it could be related to the texture of food, and um, it's, you know, so it's a sensory thing. Um, it makes them very, very picky eaters, um, and as a result of that, they often suffer from malnutrition and low weight. Uh, so that's that, And that's a growing area of concern. Um, there's lots of smaller areas as well. Um, one that I'm um, aware of because it's also close to my heart as a type 1 diabetic is uh, an eating disorder called diabulimia, uh, which is um, type 1 diabetics refusing to have their insulin uh, because they know that if they don't have their insulin, they're going to lose weight. So, um, yeah, that's a very scary one because it comes with uh, a whole range of um, consequences that um, wouldn't affect other people with other types of eating disorders that has um, very serious ramifications for the body, which mm. I'm sure you could talk about a bit more, Katie. So um, <laughs> there's a whole lot, there's a lot of different eating disorders out there. And it's funny because people hear eating disorders and they see anorexia. Um, and we really need to change that perception. We really need to break that stereotype. Mm. Um, you can't tell by looking at someone if they have an eating disorder. Mm. Yes, I, I, um, you've mentioned to me before that, you know, people can turn up to a doctor and the doctor say, you look fine. Um, and they don't realise there's, a, you know, there's this whole un, under, undercurrent of complication when it comes to approaching food. Mm, yeah, that's correct. Um, and, it's, and, and so there's a lot of, lot of work that needs to be done um, in the broader community, but also, you know, amongst um, our clinicians. There's a great need to have more training for our clinicians and our medical practitioners um, that's not um, anything that's their fault. It's just the way the training system works. It hasn't been a major focus. Uh, we do have uh, clinicians who are very interested in treating eating disorders and they go out and get extra training and become credentialed through the Australian New Zealand Academy of Eating Disorders. Um, but there's a lot of uh, practitioners out there who really probably 
uh, would struggle to know where to start with an eating disorder. And they're probably a little bit scared of it, to be honest. It's a very serious condition. And if you don't have that expertise, I imagine as a practitioner, it would be quite frightening. Mm. Well, I think can be very confronting. Um, you know, I'm a paediatrician by training, but also I was the uh, head of population health, which had the Centre of Adolescent Health within it. And within that research and clinical training group, there was, um, you know, the Eating Disorders Unit. And um, I certainly saw papers um, published by that group, um, uh, George Passion and um, Susan Sawyer, looking at, for instance, um, overweight um, bulimia or anorexia where people might be significantly overweight lose a large amount of weight and become normal weight um, and but also have very abnormal eating habits to get to that point so it can be quite convoluted but certainly in in, in the world of pediatrics because um, there is a mortality associated particularly with anorexia I think that has in, in in previous years got a lot of the attention but there is so much out there and this particularly with COVID we know that there's a lot a lot more that's probably undiagnosed and there's a big unmet clinical need. Um, so mm. I know that you're, um, uh, you know, very good at connecting people with each other and peer-to-peer. Um, -peer. So you have online services. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what EFDA does and how you help connect people up and what services you provide for them? Yeah, sure. So um, our we've got um, three main services. We've got our support groups um, and that um, is all aimed at connecting people who are caring for someone with an eating disorder. Uh, we do that online. It's um, a national service, so it, it, it's accessible, which is the beauty of it. Um, when EDFA started, they were face-to-face -face groups, but with the advent of COVID, um, that's when we realised we could go online and that's when we realised we could help a whole lot more people and really um, reach people who might be living in rural and regional areas and really struggling to find any support. Um, so our support groups, uh, we, we've got several each month. They um, cover a great range of different eating disorders. We have um, a, a coffee catch-up, which is just a fairly casual uh, group that anyone can turn up to and just sit there and talk and listen and hear and, um, and be understood. Uh, we have more specific groups. Uh, we have a bulimia and binge eating group. We have a um, men's support group because, you know, um, the men also, the men in our lives also need some help. Uh, and one that we're particularly proud of is our siblings support group. We are the only eating disorder or eating disorder organisation that um, has a siblings support group. And I wish that that had definitely been around for my younger children when we were in the throes of eating disorder. Um, particularly my 10-year-old son, I think, would have really benefited from that. Um, so they, they are held throughout the year um, and they're a great, we get lots of people turning up to those and they're a wonderful way to connect and, and just um, have a safe space to talk uh, where you know you're not going to be judged. Uh, we've also got an education service and we have two webinars each month. Um, we have a wonderful full-time volunteer who uh, organises that uh, each month and uh, we bring in a great range of excellent speakers um, from around the world, from around Australia. Um, we have clinicians, we have practitioners, we have um, lived experience speakers as well. Uh, so there's really something for everyone, great range of topics. And uh, for members of EDFA, we actually have more than 160 uh, hours of webinar uh, resources available so um, you know for anyone who wants to educate themselves about what they might be going through it's a great place to start um, and our third service is our advocacy services and that's really about you know getting out there and, and really reducing the stigma around um, eating disorders for those that are experiencing them and also for the families and the carers 
and just making sure that we are helping to be a part of that conversation that hopefully will uh, lead us down to um, better services, better treatment um, and better understanding. Mm, that's fantastic. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, sharing, a shared problem can be, you know, so reassuring and supportive for people and just listening to other people and, and how they've approached these things can be, you know, providing hope to people and families and carers, but also the tools to be able to discuss it in a sensitive um, and appropriate way because, of course, um, when you have someone who has certain um, conditions, um, you know, whether it's eating disorders or mental health, sometimes I think parents and family members and friends can feel like they're walking on eggshells about the best mm. way to do it when you're talking about it, how to raise it, how do you start the conversation, is it too invasive to even talk about it um, or, or, you know, what, do you wait for the, the person themselves to raise it? So, you know, just for someone who might be listening and interested in this, is there a sort of a first way in for a parent about if you are concerned that your child has an eating disorder? Yeah, look, that's a really interesting question. And um, I think the point I would definitely make here, Katie, is that no one's journey is the same. Um, everyone's journey is so different and so unique. Um, and that is the beauty of our support groups because um, there's always going to be someone who um, can give you a different way of tackling um, a challenge. Um, I always say to people, you know, particularly parents of, of, of um, young ones with anorexia, which is my experience, for me it was I had to listen to my gut. That was it at the end of the day. I, I, could, I, I thought something was wrong um, and I just had to listen to my gut and I ended up confronting my daughter. Now, that might not be the right, right way for everyone to go. Um, it was the only way I knew to go at the time. Um, and that's the other beauty of our support groups. There's no judgment. There's no wrong way, right way. Um, there's just lots of different ways and different um, tools to try and different um, approaches to take. Uh, and the same can be said of treatment too. Um, you know, one set, one type of treatment might work for your loved one, but it might not work for somebody else's. So um, that's the thing. It's just really listening to your gut as a mum, which is you know, my experience, um, and approaching it um, in whatever way you can, getting as much education as you can, um, you know, going and talking to a practitioner before you speak to someone, that might be another way of, of handling it, doing lots of reading. Um, EDFA has lots of resources and that's part of what we um, are so proud to be able to supply, um, just that, that, that all that information so that people can work out which way they're going. And, and I know that there's, you know, some contention amongst clinicians about the different models of treatment. And um, I know that you're a big advocate of, you know, find what works for you and your family. Um, but there is um, obviously um, things like family-based therapy where the whole family involved or cognitive-based therapies where, um, you know, there's a dialectical approach. Um, and your um, organisation provides some supportive information to point people in the right direction for therapies. Is that correct? Yeah, we, um, part, of, part of what we do with our webinars is that we try to um, give a great range of exposure to different treatment models and um, different therapies that are available. Um, we certainly um, don't advocate for any particular model in particular. Uh, so um, we, we try to give that range. Um, and we would always advise people if they're looking for um, uh, a particular starting point uh, to go to the Australian New Zealand Academy of Eating Disorders Connected um, Connect ED webpage. Uh, they've got a list of credentialed clinicians there. And for us, it's really important to have that person who has that extra training, who has that extra knowledge 
uh, that would be something we would definitely recommend. Um, but really, it's about just, you know, talking to as many people as you can and reading as much as you can and, and, and accessing those resources. And, and I know that um, it's a bit of a journey, the whole treatment about, um, you know, it's not you see a doctor, you get a diagnosis, you have a quick fix and it's all over. It can be quite a long journey for some people um, and, and quite a very long journey. So, um, you know, there, there can be sort of uh, sort of two steps forward, one step back. It can, mm. it can go on for a number of years. Do people find that can get disheartening or do they find, you know, being part of an organisation that, that reassures them that, you know, it will, you know, if you keep going, there is hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, look, that's something we're very passionate about, Katie. Um, you know, we definitely believe that recovery is possible. Early intervention is obviously key to that where, wherever possible, and sometimes that's difficult. Um, and hope. Uh, we are very big um, believers in hope. Um, we have members who have been uh, caring for someone with an eating disorder for decades, um, and that's that's the really sad outcome of eating disorders. Uh, we're about to start a severe and enduring eating disorder uh, group uh, for those particular carers. Um, the average time would be around six years, um, but it really does vary. There's no real rules. Uh, so at the end of the day, um, we just believe it's so important for the carers to look after themselves um, because they are key to that recovery journey. So number one is self-care, making sure that they're not falling over as a result of this diagnosis. Um, and, um, you know, holding on to hope because it definitely is something that they can recover from. Mm. And I know that you're, um, you're just in the middle of um, completing a survey um, of, of people who have family members with eating disorders and you found some pretty sobering statistics about mm. the impact this has on carers and families. Would you like to share some of that, those early statistics with us? Sure, yeah. So we're just doing a survey of our members um, and um, some of the statistics that we found, I mean, it's, it's not surprising. Uh, we expected these results, but still quite confronting when you receive them. Uh, so, for example, um, we've got 87% of the carers that we surveyed are saying that caring for someone with an eating disorder has affected their own well-being. Uh, and that's that's a pretty scary statistic. And that, that of course, leads to all sorts of um, added burdens on the health system as well. So, um, yeah, it's something that, we, that we're very passionate about changing. 83% um, of carers feel overwhelmed um, with the sense of responsibility of being a carer. 61% um, say they've experienced financial stress and um, financial fear. In, in many cases, um, if you have two parents, uh, if we're talking about um, that sort of situation, one parent would often have to give up work to uh, look after uh, the person with the eating disorder. Um, single parents, it's really tough. Um, my heart goes out to a single parent who's caring for someone with an eating disorder. It's, it's a very, very difficult situation. 77% um, of our carers feel as though they lack time for themselves. And 96% of the carers we surveyed are living with uh, significant fear for the person that they're uh, caring for, which, you know, that's exhausting. Even just saying that statistic is exhausting. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I mean, eating disorders have... A, a huge uh, ramification for the entire family, um, heightened stress, anxiety, depression levels amongst the carers and the family members, financial stress as well, um, and um, relationship breakdown often happens as a result of an eating disorder as well. Mm. And so um, we think there's as many as a million people who are suffering from eating disorders. 
uh, in yeah. Australia and perhaps more? So I think the latest statistics show that it's more than a million have an eating disorder um, currently in Australia, which means if you look at um, the, the, the families that are affected by that statistic, you know, we conservatively estimated, estimate that it's probably about 4 million people who are affected by an eating disorder in some way. Uh, and that's a significant chunk of the Australian population. Um, so it really is. It's, you know, we, we've been saying for a long time that eating disorders are a national crisis. Um, and it's something that needs to be taken very, very seriously. The numbers are increasing. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we would like to see happen in future is a na national uh, public health campaign um, so that um, awareness is raised about what an eating disorder looks like um, and, and give um, people in the community uh, ways to prevent an eating disorder from developing. Uh, at the moment, um, which if we just look at the adolescent population, one in three Adolescent females um, currently has disordered eating. So that's not an eating disorder, but that often can turn into an eating disorder. And one in five adolescent males has disordered eating. And that's pretty terrifying. So a lot of work to be done, Katie. So we're hoping that um, we can get the message out there and it starts to be taken a lot more seriously than it has been in the past. Mm. Well, certainly seen, you know, a very big rise for women, but what's been quite shocking is it's now, you know, also... Um, a lot of young men presenting with the problem and increasing numbers. So you've kind of asked, you answered my last question partly, but um, I like to finish by asking my guests, what do you want for the future in the next 100 years? I put it out there because then you don't have to be held to account of what gets delivered. But tell me, Jane, what would you like to see? Uh, I think um, I would like eating disorders to be recognised as the mainstream medical problem that they are. Um, I'd like to see the, the stigma gone. Um, I'd like people to be able to, you know, walk out of their house, run into their neighbour and say, oh, yeah, I'm not very well at the moment. I've got an eating disorder and know that they can say that openly and honestly and they're going to get compassion and sympathy as a result and, and support. Um, that's what I would really like to see happen, just that, that whole uh, change in attitude towards eating disorders. They're not a choice. Um, people do not choose to have an eating disorder. Um, it is a serious um, medical condition that needs to be treated as such. Well, I'm very proud of the fact that as a member of the Higgins, I fought for $16 million for an eating disorder, which will be located in Higgins, should be built by the end of this year, early next year. And it's a residential eating disorder unit for, uh, you know, to help keep people out of hospital or to help with step down care from hospital. Because, of course, once you get to hospital, it's pretty severe, but uh, hard to go straight back into the home environment. So very proud of that advocacy that I did. And I'm very proud to be associated with your organisation. And I really wish you and EDFA the best in the future. Thank you so much for joining me this week, Jane. Thank you, Katie. Join me, Dr. Katie Allen, on An Apple a Week. Hopefully you'll learn as much as I do.